Welcome to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast, where we share stories of life change and inspire you to take a next step in your own faith journey to discover your purpose and honor God with your life. Welcome, everybody, to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast. Uh, Today we have another episode after we've just begun a brand new series, um, Keeping Hope in Mind. And this series focuses on the intersection of faith and mental health. And today, in addition to Pastor Philip, we have a very special guest, Dr. Jay Earls. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Jay. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And so Dr. Dr. Earls is a clinical psychologist. He's a retired Army psychologist, the director of the Hope Community Counseling Center with the Midland Valley Church of the Nazarene, and just for icing on the cake, he grew up in a Christian home with a father who was a pastor and even had a grandfather who was a pastor. So we're really excited to get to talk to you today. And Pastor Philip, do you want to start us off with a question? Yeah. Well, thanks, Jay, for being here. Jay and I have been friends for uh, several years and have worked together on a lot of things. So I know you're incredibly busy, so thanks for taking some time to share with us. You know, Sunday, uh, we were kind of started this conversation uh, as a part of our message of why should the church care about mental health? I mean, aren't we just all about spiritual health and salvation? And so you live at this intersection of faith and mental health as a practitioner uh, professionally, but also as a Christ follower and as a part of a church. Uh, that's your world. That's where you live at. So why do you think the church should care? about the mental health of people. So I'm a little contrarian, so I hear this question, I think, well, why shouldn't the church care about anything (laughs) regarding people, right? And if we look at like what Jesus taught us and and how the disciples lived and what they wrote about, it's, uh, and they're really, they they care about people and their suffering Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, all of their suffering. Right, we are. Yeah, we're very, we're spiritual beings having a physical, mental, emotional experience, and that physical, mental, emotional experience is real. Uh, and if we have sickness and illness in our in our bodies, we don't hesitate at all to pray for healing and to to care for people. And why wouldn't we also then care about our mental, emotional sufferings um, and pain? And who is better positioned, right, to get the intersection right? Than the church, I think, and you know it's interesting because we we don't hesitate not only to pray when we have physical illness, but we also we don't hesitate to go see a doctor or uh, take physical therapy. Why do you think sometimes we we look at mental health so differently than physical health? Yeah, partly because it's something we don't see, mm. right? And it's. Uh, and that's partly societal too. Uh, and every society culture handles uh, mental, emotional uh, difficulties or struggles differently. In my experience in the army, uh, in the it was over twenty years, we went from mental health being even at Fort Gordon where I started was in a separate building from the rest of the hospital that no one wanted to go to. Like we were a mile away from the hospital, and no one wanted to see us. By the end of my time, uh, partly because of our experiences through. Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, I had a senior army leader banging the table asking for more psychologists. Uh, we really understood if we want to be well, right, and functioning at the top of our game, we have to address the whole person, 
right? Which includes our thoughts and emotions and relationships. Uh, and uh, it's a great space to be in. And how, how can we uh, really as a church body do that as well as possible? That's what, where I, I kind of live and how do we help people open ourselves up to that experience? And I guess another question to ask, what are we avoiding, right? Is it's, it's easy to see a broken limb or an illness that is, is pretty common. You know, how do we ad- adjust and start to accept, right? That, yeah. that uh, way we think, the way we feel is, uh, is areas of growth and nothing not to be afraid of or avoid. So I think that's that balance of what do I accept? What am I trying to avoid? And, yeah. yeah. I mean, because we're, uh, you know, we all have fears. We, we don't like to talk about them. And sometimes we stuff them down so far that we're maybe not even consciously aware of why we're doing it, why we would avoid something or not want to talk about something. And so, I, I, I mean, I think we view everything through the lens of our own experiences. And so I think culturally, um, sadly, uh, while the church has a 2,000-year history of caring for the sick, uh, that's always been, uh, you know, a strong point of the church. But there's been a season in the last 50, 75 years where um, the church has not helped with stigma. The church has maybe added and become part of a barrier. And, and I'm talking about me. This is my tribe, the church. It's my people, right? And we, I say we, because I've been a part of that. I mean, it took a personal experience for me um, to really begin to understand that um, shame, pointing out, oh, well, it's just a moral thing, or you don't love Jesus enough, or you don't pray enough, uh, you know, that it's just purely spiritual. Um, I was probably somewhat in that camp a little bit, uh, but then that personal experience and and really starting to learn and just have open conversations with people like yourself and others that I, I respect uh, your walk with Jesus, and I also respect your your work, your calling, your profession. And so just having the conversation, I think, helps normalize and bring down stigma to tear down some walls because that's a huge barrier to care you know we don't tell somebody that breaks an arm you just need jesus we're like you need jesus and you need an orthopedist and you're probably going to need a cast right i I use that example a lot actually if i sprain your ankle no one has a problem going to the doctor and i I, what is the avoid avoidance fear what what is that about and uh, I sometimes wonder about, I, I trust maybe physicians more than the mental health field or uh, it's safer. I don't want to feel like I'm out of control of my own thoughts and emotions. Uh, and, you know, I, and I go back to the scripture, right? God wants to transform our minds. He wants to literally transform how we think, what we think about. And, uh, you know, that, that, that sanctification process is real and some of what it happens with um man and, and talking to people and some of them are counselors uh and it's, it's a it's an honor right to do that yeah yeah and i you know uh at the 
Hope Community Center and just in in your practice there as well. Um, are you seeing, let's say, over the last five years, are are you seeing an increase in uh, folks being willing to kind of raise their hand and say, "I need help. I'm going to make an appointment." Uh, I think. I, are you seeing more? Oh, absolutely. Right. If I I saw that growth through the through the army and the acceptance. Mm-hmm. Of that are how we think and feel is really important and impacts on how we perform, right? Uh, I've seen that in the church as well. That the the more we're open to um, right the reality of our thoughts and emotions and how that impacts on our relationships and how it impacts our relationship with God. Uh, so we're when we say over spiritualized things, we we kind of have a pigeonhole. It's it's got to be this one thing, and the, the more the church is opened up to see the whole person. Uh, we see people able to come forward and, and uh, I think face the the felt shame that's yeah. probably not as as real as it once was. Mm-hmm. Then it's more of the internal kind of can I get over the hump of asking right yeah. for help and seeking assistance. So uh, and what's really helped is pastors like yourself and other pastors who've been able to to uh, help normalize it right yeah. and, and make it real. And not something that's uh, we need to keep in the shadows. And you know, my experience, obviously, our personal experience as a family has had a huge impact on this. But even without that, just as a pastor, a shepherd, caring for the flock and caring for the community, you you unless you're hiding under a rock or in a state of huge state of denial. When you look at what is affecting people both inside and outside the church, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis, and we could spend hours debating the why, you know, um, but I never see Jesus doing that. I see Jesus just going in and where meeting people where they are. And so uh, I think those of us in the faith community, as you said, we're just looking at why wouldn't we care? Because this, some of the people who suffer the most around us suffer uh, with mental health challenges, mental illness. Uh, it is suffering, and it is implosive for families um, as well as the individuals. And so I guess a good question would be, obviously, we can't all become Dr. J. Earls and, and become clinical psychologists, but what are some things that you think just the the average church member, the average Christ follower, what are some things that we can do to be a part of helping hurting people like this? Wow, the, I guess the first thing is to be open, hmm. right? We can be open and acknowledge that, man, that after the fall, there's all kind of suffering, and some of it is mental and emotional, and we don't want them to suffer. You know, people are, are wrestling with that suffering silence and suffer alone. Right, and the church is community, so we have to be open that it's it's present, it's real. If we had, if we had everybody in your church who was born, let's say, from January to June, stand up all at one time. That's about the number of people, about half the audience at some point, or the congregation at some point will wrestle with with behavioral health concerns. Yeah, it's and that's not counting substance abuse. So yeah. It's uh, very it, common. It's, yeah. How, how do we open up to the reality? How do we accept that it's there and that it, it's spiritual end, right? It's spiritual yeah. end, biological and spiritual end, emotional and mental. Uh, 
and, and behavioral and social. And then once we do that, we kind of accept that, then we can um, listen. Mm. I think that's the ask, ask and listen, yeah. right? Uh, and, and be Jesus. What did, what did Jesus do, right? He asked a lot of questions. And then he listened and he was present. Uh, and he, he taught his disciples to do the same thing. So how does he teach us to ask and listen, be present in people's suffering? And when we feel intimidated, and as a trained professional, I, there's times I will sit across from someone and they're telling me their story. And I will have this thought go through my head like, wow, that's a lot. Where do I start? Mm-hmm. And invariably, I'll ask the spirit, the counselor of counselors, right? He help, right? Where's the right? And, and, and Pastor Philip, I'm talking every time, mm-hmm. right? Because he's already there, shows up, and, and we meet. And because uh, he wants them better, right? He wants them whole. And he's using me in this case to do it. Uh, and uh, so I think, how do we allow the spirit to work through us as we, as we ask and listen? And hope, and hope with people. I literally work in a building called Hope, <laughs> right? And there's only one real hope, and that's that's Jesus. So how do we then inspire and hope with people uh, that He wants them better and well, and kind of then point them to resources and 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 uh, spiritual as well as as other resources to to deal with whatever they're they're working on, uh, and get them linked up, right, yeah. in the, the right place, uh, and then stay in community. Right, because they connected. I, I, you know, it's a little bit like we kind of are afraid of a contagion. Yeah. Like, oh, if they're yeah. depressed, I don't know, be careful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where we're not that afraid of like diabetes or any other disease. So, uh, how do we stay in touch and stay connected and uh, yeah, wrap our arms around folks and and love them? Yeah, you know, we 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 wouldn't ever hesitate to somebody we know is sick. That, you know, maybe they they have the flu or a virus or whatever. They've had a surgery and we'll preheat the oven and take a casserole at the <laughs> drop of a hat. Right. But are we willing to do that for somebody who's struggling with severe depression? You know, are we willing to just show up and say, hey, here, here's a meal or, you know, it's it's the same. It's not rocket science, and it's not new for the church to, to know how to just wrap our arms around hurting people. Uh, if we can just recognize that it's real, and it is very painful, it is dark and difficult, it's not a moral flaw, it's not always this just, you know, sin issue. Um, I think as we start seeing it that way, we know what to do. And I think, you know, in James writes, uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I think sometimes our nature as humans, and especially sometimes as Christians, we think it's our job to fix it. So we don't even let people express it before we're trying to tell them, well, you just need to do this, this, and this. Just that nonjudgmental listening is a powerful gift that I think any of us can give to anybody. And that's just... I mean, I learned this fairly early in my marriage that when Terry was pouring out her heart to me about a problem or a struggle or an issue, she wasn't necessarily asking for me to fix it. She was just looking for someone that could listen, a repository, someplace that she could just express whatever, you know, and I'm rushing in like a, you know, a stupid 25 year old thinking, you know, I'm like vanilla ice. If there's a problem, yo, I'll solve it, you know. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize 
well, maybe sometimes she is asking me to do something, but most of the time she's just somebody. The gift of listening is a powerful, healing, helpful tool. And we don't have all the answers. You've spent most of your adult life studying, practicing. And as you said, there are times you're like, Holy Spirit, you got to show up or we're all in trouble. And I, I love the fact that, you know, lead with prayer yourself. You know, we're quick to tell people they need to pray about their problems. Are we saying, Lord, help me? I, this is over my head. And I think most of the time the Holy Spirit's just going to lead us to do what love does. Just do what love does. And that's an interesting point where if someone's sick, like with a medical disease, we kind of feel like we know how to help them. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy with something I can't see, depression or anxiety. I don't know how to help them. Yeah. And so we, we, when we are not confident or competent, we tend to back off, mm. which can be interpreted as, right, rejection. Yeah. Or judgment. Well, I, judgment, right, isolation. So our, our challenge is to stay in the game, stay connected. We don't feel confident or competent. We, we don't really need to be that competent, right? I mean, if you can hear, you can stay present, you can listen, empathize. And, and you don't need a huge empathic, just nailed it kind of a statement, right? Yeah. Uh, people are generally pretty forgiving. You just need to be with them uh, without judging them, kind of yeah. t- taking them, I don't know, sometimes under your wing, but just be be with them in, in the most basic way possible. Um, yeah, when I, if, if there's stigma, there's four parts to stigma, right? So one is my, how I see, in this case, behavioral health and my beliefs about it. The second is what do other people think? Like, I'm okay with it, but what will other people say? And the third one is convenience. Just how convenient is it to access that care? And the fourth one is what, I, what do I believe about the provider, um, about who they are, and do I trust them or not? And that's where the, the last one is where the relationship, I think, between behavioral health providers, counselors, and the church and church leaders is really critical. Yeah. Um, that you know, we come together and, and we're all trying to, right, do the same thing um, and, and get people in a in better space, again, spiritually as well as, uh, you know, personally. Um, and would, that's, yeah, go ahead. Would you say that the church, meaning not church staff, not the pastors, but the people of the church, can sometimes serve as a triage or that first point of contact provider? You just mentioned the stigma of the provider. And so how do we as the church goers make ourselves more trusting for the person who needs help. More trusting as far as... Um, that they might be willing to open up. Oh, yeah. Well, I think by recognizing... I say to recognize the reality. The reality is currently, there's probably 25% of the population that are struggling somewhere on, on a scale of anxiety, right? From debilitating, can't leave their house, to you know maybe a, a periodic panic attack. And that's, that's more in the younger population, right? The, the ones who've just entered adulthood after, after COVID is probably 40%. Mm-hmm. So how, one, we recognizing the reality. This is the reality and normalizing it by saying, well, you know, how are you doing? Is it? And then offering some opportunities for them to talk about it. We, we, we don't assume that people, are, oh, they're, they're good, they're fine, they'll bounce back. And well, we'll ask the next question, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at our church, we did, a, our pastor did a sermon series on, on mental health needs. And uh, boy, the feedback he got was really eye-opening about how many people were dealing with it alone. Uh, and boy, at the end, he had, you know, one of the, 
one of our people go to church got up and, and gave a testimony that it opened her eyes, right? That she's not alone. Uh, and then seeking help, right, is the right thing to do. And um, that she feels much more connected to folks. So, you know, and one of the things that uh, I mean is obvious, um, uh, the mental health system. So whether you're talking about counselors within churches, counselors, government, private practice, counseling, psychiatrist, um, there, there's a crisis of availability of care. There's, um, I think in the state of South Carolina, the most recent statistics I saw said there's one provider. So that's either a psychiatrist, a physician assistant, nurse practitioner, somebody who can diagnose them. There's one for every 650 people who need their care. So there's a gap there. And, you know, one of the things I, I think the church can stand in that gap and you know, help walk with people until they can get to their next level of care, till they can get. So not only validating, um, you know, counselors like yourself and, and or places to get help, but and building trust on behalf of the mental health professionals. But I think also sometimes just walking with people, just being there with them because, you know, it may take them three months to get an appointment with a psychiatrist. It, I, I don't know. You know, it's here in our counseling ministry at Hope Community. Sometimes you can't get in tomorrow, today, <laughs> you know. Um, and so we see that a lot, um, recognizing we just try to, you know, stay connected to them, stay, you know, we're not trying to practice, uh, but we are just trying to be with them like, family should be, and we are family in the faith. And so, you know, I was thinking that there are some other things that uh, I think average everyday Christians <laughs> that like ourselves who are, are not professionals. Um, one is just mental health first aid training is a phenomenal resource. It's a, a one-day certification, sort of like CPR. Um you can train pretty much anybody who's willing to to give some hours to get the training. It it equips you. Um, I think another thing that people can do is uh, be aware of what resources are available so that you can give folks to their next level of care if it's needed. Sometimes they don't need Sometimes they just need somebody to listen um, and to walk with them, encourage them through maybe a particularly difficult depressive episode or whatever. But you know, sometimes they need that next level of care and just being aware of, of what's available in our community. Where are the resources? You know, I'm so grateful our um, Mental Health Partner Overflow Foundation has a resource page of um, primarily faith-based, but also secular resources um, that people can access and they can get that. We'll put a what do you call it? You say this. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll put a link to that. So you just being aware. Of, of resources for folks. I want to come back to one thing you said about the, there's a second pandemic, but so we call it, um, in the literature I've been reading, it's a epidemic of despair. And it started before the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. Um, we'll never have enough resources to deal with the, the, right, the volume of, and the depth of the need. 
that are trained licensed providers. That that's probably never going to happen. And uh, this is what's what the church is uniquely positioned to do: is, is step into that that breach in between nothing and a licensed provider. And uh, Stevens Ministry, Mental Health First Aid, um, you know, Peter trained folks, people who love and care for people, right? At, at some point, a lot of the folks don't need licensed providers. Um, they need a community who are going to love them through this this process as they as they learn, right, to adjust and improve with time, or or learn, you know, what what they need to to be to be better. Yeah. whatever that is for them. And so this is what I'm really excited um, when churches embrace, right? Really the whole person and there's there's no part of them that's unacceptable or there's no suffering that's outside the church's interest. Uh, and because we don't do it, what part of society is going to do it, yeah. right? If despair is is what the, that the secular mental health professionals are basically lumping this under, man, the antidote is hope, right? The treatment is hope. And there's no hope like the hope of Christ. Yeah. So I think knowing right our faith, being grounded in our faith, uh, and, and learning a little bit about some you know human skills, some emotional intelligence, uh, and then knowing what the resources are available and that people that are really either interested or called to these ministries to get involved, right? There's all kind of care ministries, I think, being yeah. uh, being initiated in a lot of churches uh, and, and across the country. And I, I hesitate when I hear like the word ministry because then it's immediately become a silo, right? And what we're talking about are, are humans. So this is really every ministry, right? If we're doing mental health ministry, it's not a standalone ministry. That's woven through every ministry that, that is in the church, right? Being aware of, of where, where are people at, at what are, what's going on in their lives. And... I think it's, you know, there's always this idea of them those people that meet, you know, in the church basement, you know, for AA or Celebrate Recovery. And I think it's important that you talk about recognizing the reality. The reality is that it's us. Mental health challenges, mental illness, it does not discriminate. It, it affects all demographics. It's, it's one in five and probably closer to one in four of any one of us will struggle with a mental health challenge. And all of us have mental health, and we're always on a spectrum of our mental health. And so uh, I think it's important to, to talk about mental health as something that it's, it's all of us. It's us, not them, not those. It's us. And I think that's a huge step and a, um, a stigma buster, you know, for us to say that. Yeah, without stepping on the third rail. I, I think there's there might be one other area where we have the stigma in the church. We know what the rates of depression are for the population. We know what the rates are are in depression of pastors is more, like fifty percent more, and the rates of depression of pastor spouses is more than that. Yeah. Right, yeah. and so I think sometimes um, and our, our leaders are they willing to to be honest with themselves and admit that this is something they might deal with. Uh, and instead of trying to be the, the hero white knight, you know, yeah. can't happen to me, I'm invulnerable. What would that mean if I write him honest yeah. about that? Um, it's, it's easier to avoid it. And uh, but the power that comes when our leaders say, hey, this is something that I've personally dealt with, my family's dealt with, and the spirit and crisis in the middle of it. 
and it's not something outside, right? This mysterious. So, yeah, it, it's a struggle. Um, I've struggled with depression. Um, about five years into being the senior pastor here, uh, and thinking that it was all dependent on me, and you know, I just every time I'd preach a good sermon, there was just pressure to preach a better one. Every time somebody would compliment, oh, that was a great message. What I would hear is, but what you going to do next? And they weren't saying that, but that's how, you know, that's that internal thought. It became my reality. And I hit a wall and just had to take a sabbatical. I shared that with the church. And I will tell you, and this thing I, you know, I love about the church, the big C church, man, when the chips are down, the church steps up and they did. And uh, what a godsend. And, you know, even our family's journey, uh, what a godsend the church has been. And I say the whole church because you've been a part of that. Uh, other churches have walked with us, our family. I, I love that. I love it when the big C church uh, stops caring about names, denominations, minute theological differences, and just reps Jesus in the world. And loves people. Isn't that great? <laughs> yes. Yeah. How do we love more? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think probably maybe a great stopping place, but dude, thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. You have a wealth of experience and don't, Sam, don't, his voice is just soothing. I've been it? thinking that that's the like whole a, time. That's <laughs> like a therapy gift. That's like mm -hmm. one of the gifts of the spirit, maybe for, um, for you, for how God has uniquely shaped you. But, um, you are a gift to this community. Uh, you're certainly a gift to Cedar Creek Church and a huge gift to the Lee family. So thanks for taking time. I know you're super busy, but I think some of the things you shared today are going to really help us all take some next steps uh, to care for those who struggle. Uh, thank you for those kind words. I hope so, right? I, ho I hope the conversation is uh, pleasing to God and, and builds the, the kingdom in whatever way He chooses to uh, to use it. Um, I can't say enough good things about, about you and your family uh, and uh, the impact you've had on my, on me and, and our family. And uh, uh, Who do I make the check out to? And, uh, <laughs> no way. I, so that's unusual. Normally people are giving to the church, not, yeah, yeah. not just giving to other people. But um, a, a tremendous respect for you yeah. and, and the work you guys are doing. Uh, I say you, particularly, right, you and Terry, but also Cedar Creek. Just um, a... Um, super, I don't know, it's kind of lost for words really to, <laughs> yeah. to say all that you, you do for the community, but uh, just living for Christ and exampling that. And uh, thanks for this specific opportunity. Well, so, thank you. So, Chip, I've got off my, I have a lot of bucket lists, like an anti bucket list of things <laughs> I prefer not to do. I wasn't sure where podcast was on there, but uh, um, it's been great to be here with you guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Dr. J. Maybe we'll be able to talk him into coming back yes. one day. Yeah, we can maybe dive into some specific topics. So. Yes. so thank you, Dr. J. Thank you, Pastor Philip, And thanks for everybody listening. We will put all of those resources in the show notes, and we'll be back next Wednesday with another special guest. And we hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks. Thanks.